I am here to comfort you. Last week, welcome visitors, welcome guests. <laughs> Thank you for being here. We love you. We love that you're here. We're here for you. The Lord is here for you. So last week, we talked about trusting Jesus fully without reservation, just pouring our hearts over to him. And we discussed winning that age-old battle of doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we do want to do. And we talked about purifying our hearts through the love of God because it is only his love that purifies our hearts and no other thing. And that is a victory in our lives. That brings us victory in our lives. So today we're going to be talking about the the import of that victory, the effect of that victory, and the effect of that purifying of our hearts that his love comes in and so tenderly does for us when he works his will out in us. And it's not our striving, and it's not our picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. So because when we trust God he will bring us out of every trial into glorious day, into living truly in the glory of God here on this earth. And he will help us to say no to temptations. He will help us to navigate trials. When he is the potter, when he is the one molding our hearts into the very heart of God, you have to believe that about yourself beloved, that God truly molds your heart into his heart. There is no, once you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no point of unworthiness in you that, that keeps him from, with his beautiful, gentle, kind, merciful, loving hands, molding your heart into his very heart. And so we talked a lot about that last week. And when he does that, when we know we can trust him, we can just um, abandon ourselves to him. He comes in, and he doesn't shame us. He doesn't ridicule us. He doesn't make fun of us. He doesn't say, see, I knew you could have done it better. He comforts us. He comforts us. And when he comforts us, we receive a joy and a strength and a, and a peace and a stability, and a renewal, and a revival in our lives. We receive rest from him, and when we receive that comfort, we then become a consolation to others. There's such a joy when you get to comfort another person in the Lord. Um, so in a very real way, you become a tan He helps you tangibly, and then you help others very tangibly. So 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. For just as the sufferings, and I, I won't keep re redefining this, but when we say that word, we mean the yielding to Christ, having the attitude that Christ had, having the heart willing to lay ourselves down for the cause of Christ. So, um, it says, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so what he suffered for benefits you, blesses you, flows into your life. He did it for you anyway. <coughs> so also, through Christ, our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Everything he went through was for your comfort and salvation. It is for your comfort, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. His comforting of us helps us to be patient through situations and not to get, you know, fraught up, not to uh, get uh, frantic or anxious. It produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. My hope for you is firm. His hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. Hallelujah. So, 
what this is telling us is that as we trust Jesus with our sufferings, and even actually with our victories, that includes your victories, it's talking about sufferings here, but as we trust Jesus in our sufferings, in those things that just grieve our soul, or in the things that we have to lay down for the cause of Christ, we receive from him an empowerment, an empowerment in, our, in that comfort. And we receive that comfort, and then we comfort others. We receive that, and we, we become strengthened, and we become encouraged through that. And then we strengthen, and we encourage others who are going through the similar things that we may be going through. Um, he becomes this stability. His comfort is a stability in our lives. So as we are comforted, we comfort others. And God's power in us, as he comforts us, as we lay it down at his feet, whatever it is, as he comforts us, his power comes into us through that comfort and overflows to others. His power is formed in us when we go through sufferings. His power is formed in us when we go through sufferings when the sufferings of Christ, when we remain yielded and we allow Christ to be formed in us. We, and this is such a good thing. This is a fun thing. This is a wonderful thing. Because as Christ is formed in you, the dross moves out. So God will never be your tempter. He will never tempt you. He is not the tempter. Satan will tempt you. Satan is the tempter. Satan is the accuser. God is your deliverer. We, mean, we need to totally distinguish. God is your deliverer. He is your rescuer. He is your encourager. He is for you and not against you. And as our hearts become purified and our hearts truly... If, if you can think about what we talked about last week, and um, if you weren't here, get the CD or watch it on the podcast. But as our, pure, as our hearts are purified, our hearts actually become the heart of God, okay? Can you tell me that's not too big for me to believe, Pastor Lisa? Say that. That is not too big for me to believe, Pastor Lisa. Thank you. But our hearts become the very heart of God. Uh, he, he leads us. And Satan will tempt us. Satan will, when, when we walk into a, that purified spot or, or we learn a new truth through, through our yieldness, yieldedness to the Lord and, and Christ being formed in us, we learn new truths. We grow in new revelation. And the very truths in which we have grown, the things that he has shown us, in those very truths, Satan will come to tempt you. Satan will come to tempt you. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, period. So in the very places where you have won deliverance and victory in Christ, Satan wants to dethrone you. Satan wants to dethrone you from that place of victory but you're not going to let him, right? <laughs> he wants to dethrone you. When you've gone through that age-old process of I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do, what I want to do, um, when you go through that, and, and like we were talking about last week, and you, you go through that process and you, you lay it down and you allow the Lord to purify your heart and you remain yielded to him, when you go through that and you receive the victory and, and then say you have another difficult time with that, it doesn't mean that you have not gotten the victory. Okay? It doesn't mean you have failed. Right? The scripture wouldn't tell you that this would happen if God thought if it wasn't going to happen, right? But it doesn't mean that the Lord has not brought you out. It means that you have actually won and Satan has something to challenge. He's going to come against what it is where you have won that victory. You see what I'm saying? So 
when this happens, it doesn't mean that you have failed. We can expect his attack. We can expect his challenge. And we need to be aware. And when that, when that challenge comes, we need to not get into this spot of self-condemnation because that's just letting Satan win, okay? We cannot do that. Just because there's a battle, it does not mean that you have failed at something. Conversely, it may mean that you have done exactly what God wanted you to do and Satan doesn't like it. You see what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? So it means that you have won and Satan is, is very unhappy about that. He got defeated at the cross <laughs> and he wants to do the same to you, but you have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have an advocate. You have an intercessor. You have a lover of your soul. You have someone who is for you and with you and in you. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. So this is where we have to remain encouraged and comforted by God. We have to allow his comfort to keep working in us. Um, because at that point, see, the Holy Spirit keeps you from the sentence of death that he's trying to reimpose, right? You've been delivered from the sentence of death. You live in the spirit of, of Christ. You live in the life of Christ Jesus, okay? So, but he wants to come and reimpose his death sentence. He, like I said before, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy in any area in which you have received the revelation and the wisdom of God in the victory unto God. You see what I'm saying? You understand that? So any place where you've gone through something and you're walking in experiential knowledge, you've experienced it. Now, we don't, we're not moved by what we, you know, what we see or things like that, right? We don't, we don't judge God by our experience, but when we've gone through an experience and he's taught us something through it, you are then walking in a new experiential knowledge you are walking in a new wisdom. You've received revelation in a particular area in your life, okay? And that victory is actually to the glory of God, okay? So wherever you have the spirit of life of Christ Jesus dwelling, operating, you know, revealing things in you, Satan's going to try to challenge you. He will come and try to challenge you and impose his sentence. He's always trying to steal from you. He's always trying to steal your faith. He'll try to put you in positions where you don't get to hear the word of faith. You know, when you stay out of church too long, when you stay out of the word too long, you, you need to be in a body, people that will encourage you and love on you and help you, and you need, we need to be in the word. But he's always trying to steal your faith. He's always trying to steal the word. And, um, and if you stay in the word, you can't. You just stay submitted to Jesus. He can't. This is, what is it that overcomes the world? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So of course he wants to steal your faith. Of course he wants to come and say, huh, you really didn't do such a great job. You really, you really didn't get the victory that you thought you had. Jesus really wasn't what you thought, okay? And those are all lies. So we trust the Holy Spirit to keep us where Jesus has brought us, where Jesus has led us. And the Holy Spirit becomes our strength. Our, our, he's our indwelling strength. So Jesus was tempted in all points, the scripture says, just as we are, right? Right? Right. Hebrews 4.14. <coughs> Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who's that? Jesus. Who has gone through the heavens. Okay, he's already gone before you, beloved. He's gone before you. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. That's what Satan's trying to steal. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Bless you. You have a sympathizer. You have a sympathizer. He knows how you're feeling. And you have a merciful sympathizer. Uh, who, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And because he was without sin, you get to win with him every time. Because he is the perfection that you don't have to be in your own flesh. See that? So where did Jesus get the strength to go through everything he went through and yet never sin? Where did he get that strength? Hebrews 5, 7 tells us, listen, okay, listen. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He hears your cries. He sees your tears from the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. You will be heard. You are heard on all points, all the time. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, his fear of the Lord, his humbling himself, his yielding himself, his, his, his prayer, his submission, his prayers to the Lord. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Beloved, obedience is one, a wonderful thing to learn because in our yieldedness to the Lord, his comfort overflows into our lives. And once made perfect, okay, we've studied that, so I'm not going to go through that. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest. That's your high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we see here that he is our total source of eter eternal salvation. Of course, that means your eternal life. But it also means unending salvation eternally. Everything that your soul needs to be saved from. You understand that? Every pain, every anguish, every hurt, every discouragement. Any place where you need rescue in your life. He is enough. He's more than enough. Because he loves you so much. So he is your high priest. He's always on your side. He's always offering petitions for you. If you feel like you are going through a dark hour, know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, Father offering intercession for you. You have a friend. You have a friend. will never turn his back on you. He will never turn a deaf ear. And he will always, only, see you with loving kindness and mercy. Always. In the Aramaic, while he, while also he was clothed in the flesh, okay, this is Jesus, while also he was clothed in the flesh, in the flesh, he offered prayers, supplications, strong shouting, and tears to him who was able to give him life from death. The Lord Jesus prayed strong prayers, tearful prayers, loud shouting prayers. And God delivered him. You understand? And he delivers you from the death and the torment that Satan comes to offer here on this earth. 
to give him life out of death. Life came out of death, and he was obeyed. So God responded to Jesus' prayers and obedience, yieldedness to our Father. And he delivered him, God delivered him from the sentence of death that Satan offered. When Satan thought he had won, there was deliverance coming. It didn't matter what it looked like, and it doesn't matter what it looks like in your life. There is deliverance. There is a sentence of life beyond death. See that? NLT. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. So what is reverence? That's the fear of the Lord. That's our obedience. That's our yieldedness. That's our worship of our Father. That's our worship of our Lord. So God responds to your reverence, your pleadings, your prayers, your humility. You're humbling yourself before him. And, 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 and in your prayers and in your humbling, you trust him to do the good thing, to finish the good work, to create this beautiful you. That's the vision he has of you anyway. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he has this beautiful vision of you. So this is not the time, dearly, want, dearly beloved, this is not the time to uh, castigate yourself. This is not the time to shame yourself or guilt yourself. This is time to pour it into the heart of Jesus, to lay it in the lap of Jesus, to place it at the feet of Jesus and receive comfort. Receive peace. Receive healing. Hallelujah. God responds to your sufferings. You are not perfect, but in him you are perfected because of what he did. Okay? So he responds to your suffering. He has become your substitution, and he responds to the things that you are going through just as Christ suffered for you, you can receive then that consolation and then you get to comfort, you receive it in your life, and then you get to comfort the world. What greater joy could we ever have than to be the comfort of Jesus to somebody else? Okay? So God responds to your reverence, the purifying of your heart, the purifying of your heart. We don't do everything right. You'll never do everything right. I don't do any. I don't do anything right. <laughs> I don't do everything right. You don't do everything right. It's okay to admit that. But God looks on the heart, right? God looks on the heart that is submitted to him. He, just, he looks on your heart. He knows your heart, and he will comfort you through the difficulty. Verse 8 here says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So as we trust him in the suffering and we actually let him in, we let him into the pain, we let him into the difficulty, we say, this is too much for me. We don't always try to tough it out. There's so much in the faith movement that makes people feel like they just have to tough it out and they can't ever share anything, okay? So as we trust God we let him into that suffering place. We talk to him, and he delivers us from that situation or that, that darkness that, that Satan's trying to offer you. And he brings deliverance unto victory, and we, we just we cry out to him like Jesus did. We, like, you know, let's get real, folks. There are times when you just, you, you can't think of anything other than to cry out, but you know what? Worship always comes after the light of day always comes after. A gladdened heart always comes after. Joy in the Lord always comes after. Okay? So as we trust him, he brings that deliverance. We cry out to him. We put ourselves in his hand. And how can we do that? Because we know his heart of love for us. He's love and nothing else. 
He can't be anything other than love. And we become, when we do that, you get something that you could never do in your own striving. Your heart becomes purified, not because of your works. You cannot work to purify your own heart. Right? We studied that last week. It's not your works. And through this purifying, you become the light source. You become the light and the life of Christ to a dying world. His light and his life living in you become light and life to other people. And he will send angels. Beloved, when you cry out to him, he sends angels. He sends angels to you in your time of temptation. He sends angels to you during your trial. The angels came and ministered to Jesus, didn't they? In his time of suffering, in his hour of suffering. The angels came and ministered to him, the gospel tells us. Luke 22. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Okay? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Submission. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. You have angels, whether you see them or not. You have angels that are strengthening you in ways that you may not even be aware of right now. Even though things may be difficult, or trials may be coming, or temptations, you have angels that are lifting you up so you do not dash your foot against a stone. Beloved, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Have you ever been exhausted from sorrow? I believe every person in here, at some point in their life, has been exhausted from sorrow. It's okay to admit that. Because at that point of admission, the glory comes in. The glory of God. Exhausted from sorrow, why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation in that time of sorrow. So when you pray, angels appear. They come to minister to you. Hebrews 5, 7, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. The scripture tells us that the Lord will hear you before you even cry. But in submission we pray. We pour out our hearts to him. And we allow the healing process to come. And as we go through the sufferings of Christ, things that we suffer and and we obey and we yield, because of our yieldedness to have Christ formed in us, your yieldedness forms Christ in you. God sends his angels to be a strength unto you, and the Holy Spirit comes and comforts you. About rescuing Lot, The scripture says in 2 Peter 2, 8 through 9, listen to this. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Does anyone feel like that sometimes today? The lawlessness that you see. There is a spirit of lawlessness running through our earth. We could get discouraged by that. 
You see? But it says here, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. We can look around and we can see grievous things. If this is so, listen, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. The Lord knows he is your safe haven. He is the thing, the person, the one that you can run to. He is your strong tower. He is your firm foundation. He is your safe harbor. The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. So just because, but let me, let me explain this to you, beloved. Just because a person sins, it does not make that person unrighteous. Your righteousness is determined by whether or not you have made the Lord Jesus your Lord and Savior, okay? A sin does not make you unrighteous. So when, when you see this scripture, don't equate it with, okay, the moment I sin, I'm the unrighteous, and then this bad thing is going to happen. No, the Lord sees you through the blood, okay? So we need to get that thinking out of our heads. In Psalms, the scripture tells us in Psalm 34, 17 and 18, listen, the righteous cry out, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. It may take a little longer than what you're thinking, but the Lord delivers us from all of our troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you have a broken heart about something, he is close to you. He is tender toward you. The bruised reed, he will not break. Okay? He will not break a bruised reed. He's not going to come at a bruised reed with a failure to be merciful or compassionate or loving or kind or long-suffering. Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You have probably been crushed in spirit at some point in your life, or you may know someone who is crushed in spirit. When your spirit is crushed because either the things you've done that you know are not pleasing the Lord or the things that you see in the world, or because of another person that you see in pain, Whatever that is, whatever that crushed spirit, the Lord comes to you to be close. He comes to hold you. He comes to wrap you up in a blanket of love, not of condemnation and judgmentalism. He comes tenderly and mercifully to help us. He takes pleasure in rescuing us from the torment of this world. He takes pleasure in comforting us. Sometimes in our lives, we just need to lay down the reins. You've got to get this because our culture does not teach us this. Our culture teaches us to get the advantage. Our culture teaches us to be in control our culture teaches us never to allow a weakness to show. And sometimes it's time to lay it down. That's all a facade when there's pain underneath. And he's come to rip through that facade. And we can trust him. We can trust him with his loving kindness toward us. So we need to to lay down that struggle. We need to lay down this like, constant agonizing in our mind about whether we're good enough, whether we've done it right enough, whether we've, you know, ha had some uh, sin that we're not really too sure about whether we've sinned or not. You see what I'm saying? That's not the kind of God we serve. Constantly criticizing ourselves for our own failures. I'm putting that word in quotes, okay? Because God never defines you by, your, by a failure. The hard, difficult things that you go through, 
He doesn't qualify you then as a failure. He doesn't even necessarily say that thing is a failure. You see? We, we must, I know this is a, a really trite statement, but it's the truth. We have got to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. You know, people just let that statement go in one ear and out the other. But we need to see ourselves through God's eyes, not the eyes of our, of our world. We need to see ourselves through the eyes of grace and mercy. I don't know if you remember last fall or last summer, whenever it was, when we did that really in-depth study about grace, and we looked at what grace really meant. It's not a license to sin, okay? But in the original Greek, the, the meaning of grace was the ultimate in beauty, okay? That was, that's the meaning of grace. So when God pours his grace upon you, he is seeing you as the ultimate in beauty because he doesn't, he doesn't make anything that's not beautiful. He couldn't do it because he's beauty. Nothing ugly could come out of God because there's no ugliness there. There's only beauty. There's only glory. Okay? So, he, so it, it, grace means the ultimate in beauty. That's how you need to see yourself, and that's how you need to see others, especially when they're having a hard time or when they're walking in a particular weakness or when you're walking in a weakness. You need to see yourself the way God created you. The other, the secondary definition of the word grace was, is a praiseworthy work, a praiseworthy work exhibiting virtues far exceeding the common. So when God created you and, and your brethren, the people in, in the world, when he created people, he has this vision and he has this purpose, a divine purpose. And it is that you are a praiseworthy work and you will exhibit virtues far beyond the common. He sees virtue in you. He sees your virtue. You don't always see your virtue, do you? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I didn't get a single answer there. Unbelievable. Thank you. Do you always see your virtue? No, none of us do. Because Satan's always talking to you and me. We don't go there. We're not supposed to go there. God created you seeing virtue, a praiseworthy work full of his virtue far beyond the common. That's who you are. That's, that's how he sees you. And you are not stripped of that vision when you do something wrong. That's legalism that teaches you that. That's religiosity. That's pharisaical. God's love is without walls. Regardless of what you do, he can bust right on through that. We just stay yielded. We just stay submitted to him. God looks at your heart. Okay, that's another one of those sayings that everybody just lets fly. Okay? There's substance in that saying. When the scripture says that he looks at your heart, he tells David, he told David that David, he said about David, that David was a man after his own heart. David was a murderer. And he said that about David. Was he judging David by the sin at that point when he said that? Hello! Thank you! No, he wasn't. 
And how was it that David, who, who did all these horrible things, a total man of war, how was it that David, that God could say of David, that's a man after my own heart? The reason, beloved, is that David understood God's mercy. David understood God's mercy. It freed him. When you understand God's mercy, you're not going to go around sinning. You're not going to take that as a license to sin. Your heart is going to be so full of love and so full of the fact that you are forgiven and that you serve this merciful God. You see that? Okay. So God rescues us, which is for our victory, and it's for the consolation of others. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Please, fix your eyes on the unseen in you. If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, Fix your eyes on the unseen ultimate beauty. Fix your eyes on the unseen ultimate beauty when someone around you is acting really, really ugly. Fix your eyes on the unseen beauty that God sees in their hearts. So we fix our eyes. So we, 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 don't, we don't fix our eyes on the tragedy. We fix our eyes on the triumph that God sees. We don't fix our eyes on the failure. We fix our eyes on the faith of Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on the down part. We fix our eyes on the up part. Okay? God's divine decree over us. That's where we fix our eyes. God's divine decree over another human being. That's where we fix our eyes. That's what we receive. Just like that song. There's something you need to receive. You receive that. Okay? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, what's on un- but what is on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. See that? All the bad stuff, that's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Do you serve a Father who is compassionate toward you? So what are we going to be to other people? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Thank you, Lord. So once we're comforted, we actually become that same life that's in us, that's, that's, that's grown in us to those around us. The light of the life of Christ worked out in us, worked out in us through every trial, through every temptation, through every suffering that we suffer on Christ's behalf. Those things where we trust God's mercy, we trust his love for us, to be our help, to bring us hope through the struggle and not our own ability. Do you remember studying that? It's not us working out our own salvation. It's God working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. God working in us. So we allow God into those hard places so that we can hand the struggle off to him. Have you ever run a relay race and you hand that baton off? I used to be a relay racer. That was a good feeling, man. Once the pressure was gone, you got rid of that baton. It's like, man, my part's over. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) Now it's somebody else's. Okay? So we hand that struggle over. And we allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to abound in us and to flow through us. Rivers of living water flowing through us. 
to others. So the truths that we've learned in those moments of struggle and the promises that we receive as a result because his promises are always true and when we go through those struggles, he brings us into the blessed promises that he has for us. And so then we just stand on those. And we've, we've received an encouragement. We've received a strength. We've received a victory. We've received a new foundation. And we know that the promise is true, is true, is true, is true, is true. And we can help others with that knowing. Hallelujah. So we, we trust God to work his good pleasure in us and then we become his light and his life in our own selves, of course, and then through our own healing, we become restoration for others. Okay. You know, there, there really is no greater joy than helping others through the love of God. There's no greater joy. There is no greater joy on this earth than helping another person know the love of God for them and helping them through that struggle. So, y'all in here, believers in Jesus, y'all are the body of Christ. You're his body. This is literal. It's not, it's not a figurative thing. It, it's not an illustration. You are the body of Christ. You are his body here on this earth. And when, when, when someone in the body is hurting, we're meant to be a strength unto that. The body of Christ is, is called to be unified. We, we, you know, we, we're a very fortunate church. We don't have strife in this church. And I'll be honest, if there was strife, it would never be tolerated. There's not to be any strife whatsoever in the body of Christ. I don't care how someone might, you think, offend you. Forgiveness will be had. We, we, we cannot afford to walk in strife. Cannot afford a spirit of offense. But anyway, the body of Christ is called to be unified. It is called to be without strife. It is called to be without contempt or offense. You as brothers and sisters are a family. You need to get to know the people around you. You need to be willing to minister into their lives. And you need to allow them to minister into your life. You've been called to this church for a purpose. That's why it's important for you to be here. Anyway... We're a family. You're, you're called to support your brethren. And we are to walk in the same spirit, in the same attitude as Christ, right? We studied that last week. Having the same attitude as Christ, to be willing to suffer for the good of another person, to be willing to suffer even for the good of the world, to share the goodness of God with the world. Our love for one another in this body, in this specific body, our love for one another is a calling card. It's a calling card for people who need to hear about and need to experience the love of God. God created us all very differently. We should never despise another person in the family of Christ. We should never despise someone who does things differently than we do. We have to find the good in the difference. We all have different expressions of what God, ways of accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish on this earth. So we should never despise someone for doing things differently than we do, or because they're going through a struggle that maybe we've never experienced. We can't condemn that. Different people go through different struggles. You've struggled in areas that someone else hasn't struggled, and others have struggled in areas that you haven't struggled in. And we need to celebrate all of our differences and come into this supportive union for one another. Uh, we have different struggles, and we have different strengths. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. See that? So th this applies in, in, on both sides of the fence. It's when you need help, you can't say, I don't need you. Okay? And it also applies when someone's weak, you can't just like chase them out. You know what I'm saying? You can't just slough them off. You can't, we need to help them grow into the strength that God created them to have. God created each of us to have certain strengths to accomplish his mission. And our job is to help others grow into the strength that God has them to walk in. And Satan will try to defeat you at the point of your strength because he doesn't want you to use the gift that God has placed in you. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 24. But God has combined, combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. See, that's what we need to do. Give honor to the parts that are lacking. Build them up. Bless them. Help them. Encourage them. Bring them into that place of strength. Honor the parts Honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So care for each other as much as we care for ourselves. Equal concern for each other. If, listen to this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So you may not be going through that particular suffering, but when any person in here, in our family, suffers, others are suffering, whether they understand it at that moment or not. And that is not to heap guilt on the person that is going through the suffering, but it is for us to realize that that person is suffering. It does hurt everybody, and we all need to come together and encourage and lift up and edify and build. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So in the suffering and in the victory. See that? When someone rejoices, are we going to be jealous of that? We're going to rejoice with that person. When that victory comes, when that special blessing comes, we're going to rejoice the scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Not jealousy, not competition. You don't want that other person's blessing. God has a very special blessing designed specifically for you, and that blessing's not going to make you happy, and it's not going to fit you anyway. So, in the sorrow and in the rejoicing, we must be there for one another. So it is through our trusting Christ, through our having the same attitude as Christ in our trials, in our temptations, and it is through the, the unity with fellow believers that we honor and glorify God. It is not through our strife. It is not through our judgmentalism. It is not through our lack of mercy. It is not through a lack of compassion. It is not through self-criticism or self-condemnation. You are a glorious creation of Almighty Jehovah God. You are a glorious creation. And when you condemn yourself, when you condemn yourself, you are robbing others of the beauty that you are meant to contribute to the family, to his kingdom. You are robbing others in the body of your beautiful presence when you condemn yourself. You are not, we are not to live in self-condemnation and criticism and picking ourselves apart and saying, well, I failed to cross that T, I failed to dot that I, I did this wrong, I made a mistake here. When you do that, you are robbing God. 
How many of you heard what I just said? <laughs> Me too, brother! When we do that, we're robbing God. We're robbing the world of the beauty that he placed you here to be. So we're meant to suffer together. We're meant to rejoice together. We're meant to have compassion together. We're meant to be comforted, and we are meant to comfort. And when we are hurting, we must reach out to one another for wise counsel. Don't reach out to the world. Reach out to one another. The scripture says, take wise counsel. That means the wisdom of the Lord. People that have the wisdom of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, so when we're hurting, we must reach out to others for wise counsel, to be comforted. Nobody in here, nobody ever created was meant to be an island unto themselves. You are not meant to be islands. You are not meant to just muster, go through life, marching through life in your own strength. It is a lie of the devil that we are meant to handle everything on our own. It is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not strength. That is actually pride. That is an idol in your life if you have that attitude. That's an idolatrous attitude. It's pride. It keeps us in bondage. And all that happens in that is, is that pain just gets all pressed down into the secret corners of our hearts. And we need to allow that to be released. So part of trusting Christ is reaching out to others who can help us, others who have gone through the same afflictions, and be able to say, I need some help. Can you help me? Will you help me? Can I talk to you? Please let me talk to you. And then we get past that pain of being silent in our struggle. Silence in the midst of struggle is not strength. It's pain. It's pain. So, we must be transparent in our own trials and be honest with others to be able to say, I've struggled with that very thing and I can help you. Don't be ashamed of, your, of what you've won. Don't let, don't let Satan say, oh, you need to be ashamed of that struggle. No, God says to be joyous in what you've won and let that light shine. See there? That's what, it is not shameful to share your struggle with another human being. Yeah, I was there, I was there, and this is what God did for me. This is the victory that he showed me, and he's going to show you the very same thing when we are transparent with the things that we have gone through. And not let shame, not let that shame keep our struggles silent. And also, if, you, if you're the one having the struggle, that applies the same way. Not let shame let you keep your, your struggles all, you know, tied up inside yourself. So we need to allow God's victory to speak through us, and we, we, we need to share our experiences and have teachable hearts. So we have to let go of pride, beloved. We have to let go of this self-righteousness that tells us that we cannot reach out to another person. That's a self-righteous attitude to say, I can't reach out to that person for help. That is self-righteousness. I can do this on my own. If we were meant to do everything on our own, would Jesus have ever come to earth? Now, you just think about that. Would Jesus have come here to say, let me walk with you. Let me show you. Let me have you, let me spend time with you. We have to let him, of course. But do you see what I'm saying? Would Jesus have ever come to earth if he could just stay in heaven where he was all comfortable and in glory? 
You get what I'm saying? No, no, he came to be with us. He came for fellowship. He came for communion with us. So we have to let go of the pride. We have to let go of the self-righteousness that tells us that we cannot reach out to another person or that we cannot be transparent with our own frailties. Acts 5.18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, during the night, during the darkest hour, during the difficult time, during the time when maybe you think you're not going to make it, during the time when you can't see the light, during that time when oppression just keeps coming at you, during the night, an angel, an angel, there are real angels and there are people angels that God puts in your life. There are real angels, supernatural angels that come to strengthen you and help you and bless you. And there are people angels that have a hand like Jesus and said, let me walk with you. Let me walk with you. Let me in. Let me walk with you. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. He has got a breakthrough for you. He will bring you out. He loves it. He's with you. and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Tell the people the full message of this new life. Not this new condemnation, not this new judgmentalism of this new life. Tell them of this new life. You see, that prison sentence came. The bars were shut and locked, securely put in place. But an angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors whether that's a supernatural angel or a brother or sister sitting next to you right now. That's why it's so important that you don't miss church. Life is not all about you. You might be someone's angel on a given day, and if you're not here, that's a sad thing. An angel of the Lord opened the doors unto deliverance for that person. And what was the command that we just read about? The command was to share. The command was to share. To tell the full message of the new life. The full message of the new life. And how God delivers from the sentence of death. The only message you should ever have is how God delivers from the sentence of death. He's our deliverer, our rescuer, our comforter, our very present help in time of trouble. God restores. He gives us victory. It's his intention. It's not because you're being selfish. He needs you to walk in victory. He wants you to walk in victory. It is his intent in your life for you to walk in victory for his glory, for the help of those around you, for your help and for the help of others. And he has this beautiful message for you. He has this beautiful, beautiful new life 
He sees you so much more beautifully than you see yourself. He sees you so much more beautifully than you see others. He sees beauty and only beauty. His destiny for you, the ultimate in beauty. The ultimate in beauty. That is what he is realizing in you. That is the destiny that he has for you. He sees you as a praiseworthy work. A praiseworthy work filled with his virtue beyond the common. You are filled with the virtue of God beyond the common. And we are meant to walk in that and we are meant to rejoice in that and not to condemn ourselves when we maybe don't meet the mark. Because he sees you meeting the mark through Jesus. So that's what the Lord wanted me to share with you all today. Lord, I thank you that in our hearts that we would truly know how you see us. Thank you that you are the victory that overcomes the world through our faith. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you are working out your ultimate beauty in each and every one of us. Give us hearts of compassion after your very own heart, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for working that in us. It is not of us. It's through you and only through you. So we just put ourselves at your feet. We submit unto you, you Lord, your loving hand. Thank you for molding us, shaping us, and growing us. And thank you, Lord, to show us how to love and, and encourage and bless and edify and strengthen and comfort and bring peace to those around us through you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So we're going to receive our communion. We have 